0: to me, a protecting God. refuge
1: let me never
0: be put to shame in your justice set me free incline your ear to me and
1: speedily rescue me
0: release me from the snare they have hidden
1: for you indeed are my refuge
0: into your hands I commend my spirit you will be. Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be.
2: of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mystery I confess to all God God, and and to you, my my brothers and sisters,
3: that
1: I have greatly sinned in my my thoughts and my words and what I have done and what I have have failed failed to do. Through my my fault,
2: through my my fault, through my most grievous fault, therefore I
3: ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison.
2: us pray O God who teach us that you abide in hearts that are just and true grant that we may be so fashioned by your grace as to become a dwelling pleasing to you through our Lord Jesus Christ your son who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
1: A reading from the Book of Sirach. If you choose, you can keep the commandments. They will save you. If you trust in God, you too shall live. He has set before you fire and water. To whichever you choose, stretch forth your hands. Before man are life and death, good and evil. Whichever he chooses shall be given him. Immense is the wisdom of the Lord. He is mighty in power and all seeing. The eyes of God are on those who fear him. He understands man's every deed. No one does he command to act unjustly. To none does he give license to sin. The word of the Lord.
4: Your precepts be diligently kept. Oh, that I might be firm in the ways of keeping your statutes. Consider the wonders of your law,
1: O Lord, the love of the
4: Lord. Instruct me, O Lord, in the ways of your statutes, that I may exactly observe them. Give me discernment that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart.
5: Reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, we speak a wisdom to those who are mature, not a wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who who are passing away. Rather, we speak God's wisdom, mysterious, hidden, which God predetermined before the ages of our glory, and which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and what has not entered the human heart, what God has prepared for those who love him. This God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depth of God. The Word of the Lord. to God.
3: according to Matthew Jesus said to his disciples do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets I have come not to abolish but to fulfill I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gifts to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gifts. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you. You will not be released until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, and it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into Gehenna. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into Gehenna. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a bill of divorce But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, do not take a false oath, but make good to the Lord all that you vow." But I say to you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord.
2: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. This morning, uh, we hear the, Jesus speaking the, the Gospel, that He's not changing the Law and the Prophets. Now, the Law and the Prophets uh, refers to the Old Testament, uh, the Mosaic Law. So Moses is the Lawgiver. And the Prophets are, are all the different Prophets, like, for example, uh, Elijah or Elisha, and the different prophetic books. So together, the Law and the Prophets make up, by and large, the, the first part of the Old Testament, and this was the Jewish scriptures. And so uh, they didn't have a word back then like we have Bible, which means a collection of, of books. Uh, but when Jesus speaks of the Law and the Prophets, he is speaking about the Old Testament, uh, the Mosaic Law and the different prophetic writings. And so why does Jesus have to say that he came not to change the law, but to fulfill it. As you think about it, when God first created Adam and Eve, he didn't give them a whole list of rules, did he? He didn't tell Adam and Eve, don't do this and don't do that and you know, try to do this. He only had one law for Adam and Eve, and that was that they couldn't eat from the, the tree of good and evil. The moment they touched that fruit and ate it, they would surely uh, die. It wasn't until sin entered the world that we had a need for commandments and rules. And it seems the farther that we get away from God, the more we need clarification of what those laws really mean and what we really need. And so in the Old Testament, the Jews believed that all sin, every possibility of sin could be derived from the Ten Commandments. So if one of the Ten Commandments didn't uh, get specific about a, a certain sin, that you could somehow pick one of those commandments and somehow derive uh, the, where the sin uh, comes from, from which of uh, those Ten Commandments. And it was uh, of the practice of a group of scholars known as the scribes who studied the law, who studied the prophets, who would begin to compose another book called the Mishnah. And it would have all the different ways that you could violate a commandment. And it was this book, the Mishnah, that Jesus often uh, was in conflict with. For example, the Mishnah would clarify and say, you have to keep holy the Sabbath day. And so what did it mean to keep holy the Sabbath day? Well, you were forbidden to work. Well, what did work look like? What constituted work? Well, work was if you carried a burden. Well, what was carrying a burden? And they would, they would go down to the infinitesimal degree and say, well, work is carrying something, the weight of water in an eggshell. So if you carried as much weight as water in an eggshell, you were working and therefore violating the law. Writing was considered work, and so if you wrote, you were breaking the law of the Sabbath. And so what was writing? And so they, they said, well, if you write two letters together, that was considered work. But if you wrote only one letter, it didn't count yet, so you had to form the second letter. And they went on and on like... What if you wrote one letter on one page of paper and wrote another letter on another page of paper, and only if they were back-to-back, back. and what if you wrote a letter on the wall? Well, if you could have a, a second wall where it was a, a, a bend, you have two letters, it was considered work. But if you wrote on something that was not permanent, like the sand, it was considered not work. And so the Mishnahs is a huge volume of, of all these kind of infinitesimal laws and regulations and how you could sin against the Ten Commandments. And oftentimes, Jesus was in, in violation of those Mishnah laws. <clears throat> For example, healing on the Sabbath. It was forbidden to, to do work, and so they said to heal on the Sabbath was also considered work but it was sometimes necessary, and so you could, you, could, you could preserve life, but not heal it. So you could put a bandage on somebody's wound, but you couldn't put ointment, you couldn't put any antiseptic or any sort of oil, just the bandage to stop it from, from getting worse. And so when Jesus was in the temple or in the synagogue and someone on the Sabbath had a withered hand or some other illness, uh, Jesus healed them, and they argued with him, why are you violating God's sacred law? And so Jesus, in other words, is saying that this isn't part of the law. You've, somehow you've got, gotten off track, and Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter. And so he says, I didn't come to change the law. He goes so far as to say, I didn't even come to change the smallest part of a letter of the law. Now the smallest letter in the Hebrew language was uh, a Y for us, a little tiny letter. He said, I didn't come to change the letter of the law, nor the smallest part of a letter. So the smallest part of a letter, if you have your bulletin in front of you, look for like a letter I, and at the very bottom of the letter I, you might see a little projection that just ever so slightly comes out from the letter I, or maybe a comma is a period with a little curly tail, it's the curly tails, the smartest, smallest part of the letter. And so Jesus said, I came not even to change. This tiny little, now some of you won't even be able to see it. Don't even bother, um, unless you have strong glasses. But Jesus said, I came not even to change. The smallest part of the letter. Rather, Jesus says, I came to fulfill it, to fulfill the law and the prophets, and to do so perfectly. And so he goes on uh, to speak about uh, four things, anger, adultery, divorce, and swearing or oath-taking, as it is in this gospel passage. Um, I find that, uh, as I was saying in the beginning, like, the further someone is into sin, the, the, the harder it is for them to know what's right and wrong and, and the more commandments they need. Uh, some of you may know people in your life or at work or even friends who are, are so lost that they don't even know what sins are. I, I, I've met people before who who thought that living with someone, as if they were married and they're not married, they found there was nothing wrong. You mean that's a sin? Um, they're surprised. Something to us that may be so obvious. But the farther we enter, in the more we sin, the more in darkness we are, the more clouded our judgment from seeing more clearly and perfectly God's law before us. And so we need someone who is completely in the light in order to share the truth with us. And so if we're all ignorant, then all we're gonna get out of ourselves is ignorance. But Jesus is perfect. Jesus is perfect, and so he can explain perfectly to us. He can fulfill perfectly the law, and so this is what he does. And so, um, we can see a contrast between what Jesus is saying and what it's saying in the Old Testament. Jesus is driving the law even deeper to the root, to the perfection of the law. And so, we will read in the Old Testament that Moses, in giving the law, forbids killing and murder. And we might say, well, that's an easy one, because I don't desire to kill or murder anyone. Uh, But Jesus takes that law even deeper to the root of the heart and he forbids anger and insult to another person. He says in this gospel, if you say raka to a brother, you'll be answerable to the Sanhedrin. That's like the religious court among the Jews. You'll be answering to this court. Raka means uh, idiot. And so if you're insulting someone, you're guilty of, of killing that person in your heart. The consent is given in your heart to harm. If you say to a person, you fool, now the Hebrew word in there is morin, in which we get the word moron. And so by insulting someone, calling them a fool, he says, we will be liable to fiery Gehenna. Now, Gehenna here, Gehenna was a a valley, an area outside of Jerusalem, where before the Jews came there, pagans had offered human sacrifices. And it was a place so profane that the Jews didn't want to build on that land. They didn't want anything to do with that land. What they ended up doing was throwing all their refuse in this little valley, this area that they called Gehenna. And so they had all their trash all the refuse, anything that they were throwing away. And there, it was always smoldering. There was terrible smells coming out of it. Sometimes there would be fires burning throughout this, this area, this big trash, uh, trash place. And so Jesus is saying this place of Gehenna. But for the Jews, Gehenna was also, in a sense, purgatory. It was a, it was a place where these things would burn and be, be cleansed through this burning. And so Gehenna, oftentimes we think of as hell, it may be even more practical to think of it more as purgatory, and we see that further in the, in the reading when, when Jesus talks about, uh, before you get handed over to the judge, you know, make up, make up with your brother. Otherwise, they will hand you over to the guard who will throw you in prison until you pay the last penny but at least there is a time when you will be released from that prison. So many have thought that purgatory uh, may be a more apt understanding of the word Gehenna. Jesus says that all these things, anger, uh, the insults, they're the, emotion. And sometimes we don't have control over our emotions. Something happens to us and it just flashes up within us. St. Augustine, in commenting on this passage... He says that Jesus here is not forbidding us having emotions, especially if we have no control over it. But rather, he is saying that we should not act on the emotion of anger. We should not act out either in violence towards another person nor even in the insult of another person. But rather, we should look at opportunities to bring about forgiveness and change in our brother and sister. And so when Jesus says love your enemy, he doesn't say like them. He doesn't want you suddenly to like hanging around them or being with them, but to love your enemy means to desire their good. And their good is for them to get to heaven. And so sometimes love requires us to be uh, tough on someone, to correct them, to help them to see error of their ways so that they can get back on the path to righteousness so that they can uh, finally attain heaven. And so the disciple of Jesus is always looking to put their anger in check and to look for opportunities to forgive and to do good even for an enemy. And so the root here is love, to desire the good of the other. Jesus speaks about adultery. He says, Moses forbid a person from cheating on their spouse with another person, unless they gave a bill of divorce. And what it meant there was being sent away. Jesus says don't even commit the sin uh, in the heart. Uh, I'm sorry, I I got my two mixed up, adultery and divorce, so this one's on adultery. So Jesus said "We, uh, we commit adultery in the heart when we give consent to the feeling. So it's not just a a natural attraction. That happens to all of us. But it goes deeper to the surrendering to lustful thoughts. If we do that, Jesus is saying we've already committed the sin of adultery uh, in the heart. And so Jesus uses a hyperbole now to bring a point he says, if your hand causes you to sin, to cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, to pluck it out. And this, to us, may sound uh, like craziness. Many people might question and say, what well, really need to do something like that? You know, God is oftentimes hidden from our view. We see him through the eyes of faith. But for many people, they might say, this sounds like craziness. You mean there's a God who I can't see or hear and I need to cut off my hand or my eye uh, for him. But Jesus isn't speaking literally, he's speaking in hyperbole, and we use it all the time in our own language. Some of the kids here maybe have seen Despicable Me. You remember when the little girl says, "'Oh, it's so fluffy, I'm gonna die.'" Um, We say things like that all the time to exaggerate, to bring home a point. But what is Jesus saying is that He is saying that our relationship with God is so important that we should do anything to maintain uh, our relationship with God. How many uh, of you, if you had cancer on your hand and it was consuming you, how many of you wouldn't ask the doctor to amputate if it was necessary? Probably every one of us, if we knew it would save our life, we would amputate. But are we willing to do that on something like our sins? Maybe there's a really serious sin in our life, but we're not willing to cut it off completely. Whether it's a relationship that I'm in with somebody that is sinful or, or not right in the eyes of God, but we, we, we keep it, we maintain it. Or how many of us would even do something like, turn the internet off, or get rid of a computer if it was causing us uh, to sin. And so it really causes us to question, uh, how serious am I a disciple of Jesus if I'm not willing uh, to give up certain things in order to be holy? Jesus shows how much uh, we can trust God. And when he was in the garden, you know, he. They say that when someone is under extreme duress, extreme stress, that it's even possible to uh, bleed through your sweat. Well, Jesus bled through his sweat. It was so distressed, and he prayed, "God, let this cup pass by me, but not my will, your will be done." And so, if you ask Jesus, how much can we trust God? Um, at least on the cross, he shows us this much, everything. I remember when I was younger, before I even went into the seminary, I was doing a pastoral year, and I thought the most difficult thing for me in becoming a priest was gonna be women, right? My attraction to women, and I was like, well, what if I become a priest and I fall in love? That's gonna be really, really difficult. I can't just uh, uh, leave being a priest So I remember praying, God, take away my attraction to women so that I don't have to suffer so much. And then I said, let it be your will, not my will be done. And immediately God answered me in my heart, and he said, that's not my will for you. If I took that away from you, you wouldn't be a man. What would you be if you didn't have the natural attraction? And then how would you minister to people who struggle with this? And so Jesus is not condemning the natural attraction that we have, but rather the consent in the heart to go further with the the lust. Jesus speaks about divorce as perhaps the most controversial point in the gospel among Christians and the Catholic Church. Many Protestants allow for divorce and remarry. In the time of Jesus, divorce meant sending the person away, not the end of the marriage, It meant the sending of the person away. So Jesus says if a person divorces his wife he causes her to commit adultery. What does he mean by that? If a man divorces his wife or sends her away he causes her to commit adultery? So what's perhaps being suggested here is that for a woman to survive in the first century was very, very difficult. Unless she was somehow independently wealthy, she needed the support of a husband. And so she had no other option but maybe to marry again and therefore commit the sin of adultery, or worse, have to sell herself. And so Jesus said, if you If you send your wife away, you cause her to commit adultery. Jesus never permits remarriage. He sees the marriage as permanent. And this is something that the church has always taught on marriage, that marriage is a permanent thing. And many people have died for marriage. St. Thomas More, when he opposed the king's divorce and remarriage, he was eventually beheaded. For the truth, for speaking the truth. John the Baptist, in speaking out against Herod, was beheaded. And so many other people in the history of the church have died for marriage, for Jesus' teaching on marriage. Now, you might ask about annulment, and that will take me a long time, so I won't speak on annulment in this homily. But annulment means that it was never a sacrament to begin with, that when the person got married that they weren't entering into marriage, they were entering into something else. And so this is an abuse, an abuse of marriage when a person uh, does so in such a bad way. Jesus also speaks finally on swearing, and in this sense it means oath-taking. And it was so common for people to make these crazy oaths that it was even difficult to tell whether someone was telling the truth and so they would say things like, I swear on the temple, or I swear on the altar, or I swear on my life, or I swear to God. And Jesus says, let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Simply speak the truth. And so a disciple of Jesus simply speaks the truth. Why is that? Because this is what speech is intended for, to communicate truths. St. Paul, in parts of the, his, uh, in parts of the gospel, St. Paul will, will use the name of God. And so, the Church in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says that Jesus' words here are not meant to exclude oaths made for grave or right reasons. For example, uh, we use a swear on the Bible in our courtrooms, uh, but rather the everyday constantly using oaths to try to make people believe us. Uh, So Jesus says a hallmark of his disciples is that they don't need to take oaths. They simply say what they mean. And finally, in closing, I just want to tie everything together. We hear in the first reading, which came from the wisdom of Sirach, he says, if you want to, you can keep the commandments. You have before you fire and water, life and death, choose life. Many people think that they don't have control over their life. Some people might even say it's impossible to be a good person in today's world. Uh, This particular text is, I think, classic understanding of, of free will, that we have free will. We can choose to keep God's commandments. We can choose to be good. Everything that we do, we are free to do it God sees everything and so we'll be judged by our actions. St. Augustine says Jesus never commanded us to do anything that was beyond our power or freedom to do it. In the Psalm, the responsorial Psalm, we said, blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord. And in verse 34, we heard this beautiful passage, teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep thy law and observe it with my whole heart. We pray that God would give each of us the grace to know his will and the courage and the will to keep it. Amen. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, amen. Together we bring our prayers to God and ask him to hear our petitions.
3: For the Pope and all the clergy, may God sustain them in remaining faithful to his perfect law. Let us pray to the Lord.
2: Lord, hear our prayer. For
3: government leaders, may God give them strength in working tirelessly to uphold the dignity and sanctity of human life from conception natural death let us pray to the Lord
2: Lord hear our prayer for the sick
3: may their suffering be joined with the suffering of Christ and may they be consoled through this redemptive sharing of his cross let us pray to the Lord
2: Lord hear our prayer for
3: those gathered here today and for those we love may God open our hearts to the goodness of his love let us pray to the Lord
2: Lord hear our prayer for
3: those who have died May the mercy of God cleanse them so that they may enjoy the fullness of his kingdom. Let us pray to the Lord.
2: Lord, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we lift up to you these prayers and petitions and all the prayers that we hold within the silence of our own hearts. We ask you to answer them in accordance with your holy will through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father.
0: May the Lord accept the sacrifice in your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church.
2: May this oblation, O Lord, we pray, cleanse and renew us, and may it become for those who do your will the source of eternal reward, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you.
1: And with your spirit.
2: Lift up your hearts.
1: We lift them up to the Lord.
2: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, holy Father, almighty and eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For through his paschal mystery he accomplished the marvelous deed by which he has freed us from the yoke of sin and death, summoning us to the glory of being now called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people of your own possession, to proclaim everywhere your mighty works. For you have called us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory as without end we acclaim which will be given up for you. My Lord and my God. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. All glory and honor is yours, forever and ever.
1: Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom
0: come, thy will be done. and were fully satisfied. The Lord gave them all that they desired. They were not deprived of their Teaching Incline your ear to the words of my
1: mouth
0: The things we have heard and understood The
1: things our fathers have told us
0: These we will not hide from their children I will
1: tell them to the next generation
0: Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the gates
1: of heaven.
0: He rained down manna to eat, and gave them
1: bread from heaven.
0: Man ate the bread of angels. He sent them abundance of food. He rained flesh upon them like dust. He made it
1: proud like the sands of the sea,
0: he let it fall in the midst of their camp. And all around their toes. They-